This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's our season four finale, and we're sharing some of our greatest kitchen joys. Maybe most people consider making it too much work or too messy, but this is the food that's worth the work and worth the wait. You always know where the thing is because you put it away the right way the first time. You just sort of stand there and, you know, with your hand on your hip and one leg outstretched, glass of wine in your hand, staring into the refrigerator going, okay, speak to me. Oh yeah, what are you doing with the celery tonight? I'm making a simple syrup for a gin cocktail with the celery. And I also found a recipe for a celery soup that's going to use up the celery and the potatoes and some of that dill that we still have hanging out in there. (laughs) Tune in and be inspired to find the joy in your kitchen. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. We are your hosts. I am Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McCreary. Opening Soon is a weekly show that will walk you through all the steps of opening a restaurant. We're having conversations with some of the world's greatest chefs and restaurateurs, like Camilla, who's here today, and some vendors who will help take your restaurant idea from an idea to opening soon. If if you don't know us already, then go back to season one listen to uh who we are and and that intro because i said it 13 times last season i'm not going to say it every time this season because it brings a tear to my eye every time i do (laughs) we are failed restaurateurs um but now we're successful uh, workwear makers for Tillit NYC, and we're really excited to be here for season two. We, we made it past the first season. They invited us back, and we've got Yay. some great people coming in to chit-chat about um, what it takes to open a restaurant. And so we'll be doing a little bit deeper dive this season. And if you missed anything from last season, of course, you can always check it on our blog. And if you missed the current episode, you can do the same thing there. But uh, today we are talking about uh, one of the most requested topics from last season and in the interim is financing and how to get money for your new restaurant. Um, Restaurants notoriously have slim margins, and most of us do not have a stack of cash under our bed. But that would be nice. Yes, it would. (laughs) Um, So how do you fund your project? What are potential investors looking for in your business plan? And sometimes more importantly, what are they looking for in you? Right. So today our guest is Camilla Marcus. She is the founder and owner operator of Westbourne and Soho. It's accidentally vegetarian, right? But decidedly very mindful. They have a what we like to call a triple bottom line um, mission. So before having Westbourne, though, Camilla was the director of business development at USHG. She is also an active angel investor and the co-founder of Tech Table. So welcome, Camilla. Thank you for welcome. coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we're excited to talk, you know, finance. Brass tax. <laughs> yes. Brass tax. <laughs> Get into it. Cash, the four-letter word. <laughs> the four-letter word that we all need and want. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, like, your startup journey, how you came to, like, come into being in restaurants and an opening Westbourne? Um, I always sort of say I'm a little bit of a reluctant entrepreneur, which is funny. Um, I 
I started in restaurants really young. I mean, I guess not that young compared to other people in the business, but um, kind of fresh out of college. I always loved to cook. I really loved hospitality. No one in my family is interested in food whatsoever. And I was like the kid that was downing, you know, uni and quail eggs at, <laughs> you know, in little Tokyo and LA. And my parents were like, who's this, Who is this person? alien? Yeah. Like, why is she into this? Um, and when I graduated college, went straight to the French Culinary Institute, which is now ICC, um, and just really fell in love with it. I love the people. I love, I love taking care of others. Mm -hmm. I liked, you know, it really combines everything. You need a little bit of math, a little bit of science, a little bit of art, you know, a little bit of intuition and just loved how dynamic it was. Um, you know, wasn't really sure. I always say I'm so envious of those people who just sort of know their path. Yeah. Honestly, I have such admiration and, and jealousy probably of, you know, chefs who started cooking when they were in their teen years. And it's just like that was the raceway. They knew it. They got on a speedboat and it was just off from there. I've always had very multidimensional interests and it really was a long time to figure out like what works, what my place was. So I did a lot of everything when I was in culinary school. I worked in management and operations as an intern um, during the day uh, while I was in culinary school at Del Anima in their first year. Right. So I know a lot about <laughs> startup, the first year friction. Yeah. Um, then ended up working more on the development, sort of construction, conception side um, in helping to open River Park with Tom Colicchio. Uh, ended up at a private equity fund for a while and then director of business development for Danny Myers uh, Union Square Hospitality Group. Um, during a pretty sort of dynamic transitional time in the company's history. Um, you know, as far as my startup story, you know, I was actually working on sort of a consulting project while I was at USHG. We were trying to help someone conceive of this business. And my dad finally was like, you know, you talk a lot about this, like, 1% project. That, like, yeah. really shouldn't be so much of what you discuss. You know, have you thought of that? And I said, well, I don't know. Um, that person ended up not really doing that business quite the way we talked about and sort of pivoted and did something else. And so, you know, my dad was like, why not? Like, you seem very into this. Your ideas seem to be really working for other people. Like, have you maybe thought of Stop doing it for yourself? Ideas, so, right? so, you're, so, you're like, your, exactly. so basically you're telling other people your dream restaurant and then instead of doing it yourself. <laughs> Sort of. I mean, you know, and I'd already been investing for about 10 years in a lot of different types of businesses, you know, including some restaurants. And, you know, he just was like, you seem semi good at this, even though this is a world I know nothing about. And, yeah. you know, like my dad cried when he saw me in culinary school. He was like, <laughs> he was like why? why did you do this? Um, but, you know, he was like, I don't know. Think about it. So he literally wrote me an email every day for a month that just I love shoe dog. I love the mm -hmm. sort of story yeah, of Nike because it's just, yep. you know, it's really an accidental brand ultimately. Right. And he just wrote, just do it in an email every Aww. day for a month. And finally I was like, all oh, right, I guess <laughs> um, yeah. And so, I mean, really it took about 18 months, not just to get open from, you know, conceiving it, sort of convincing myself, putting the right pieces in place, right. getting our team together and finding a space took forever, which I've been on a million podcasts talking about the paint of real estate. Real estate. We have, we, we have one of those with the ladies Great. from Ovenly from, from yes. last season. So go back and listen to episode three. That was, a, uh, yeah. Aaron <laughs> Patinkin has a lot to oh, say yeah. about real estate. So really, you know, and I was patient and it took a long time. So, you know, it, it was a while and being sort of a one man band and yeah. putting together a team. I mean, even very close friends in this business who, you know, 
you all know and love a lot sort of said to me like Don't your idea it. is crazy yeah not even that <laughs> I mean we do everything differently in yeah. the restaurant top to bottom and everyone said like you're not a known quantity no one knows who you are you know, you don't have a backer, you don't have a name, right? You know, this is sort of this weird experiment, like just full disclosure, we think no one's going to work for you. And I was like, thanks so much. Now I have to do it even more. Yeah. I'm totally telling, that person. This who, is friends telling you friends this? Friends you. Okay. So when you, so you like friends and, friends? Ex- and those experience, <laughs> you know, I think really just like yeah. watching out and I get it. It is a really high risk industry. It's right. difficult, yeah. but you know, I, and I totally get it. And you know what? They were right on all those things. Like, yeah, but I you have, but was... by the way, Camilla always has a full restaurant. So they were wrong too. <laughs> so no, but I mean, I mean look, you give, you I'll start with that really because, you know, anyone listening to this, like advice you got to take with a grain of salt. Right. And I always tell people like, it's when I'm one person's opinion. Right. I might see things like a lunatic. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, but it's good to get data points and yeah. it's good to see what other people think, but ultimately, you know, you're the one that has to live and die right. by the consequences and you have to be willing to, you know, yeah, live or leap. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting. It was helpful because it convinced me more, more to do it. I'm also, my husband always tells me if you want to get me to do something, tell that me. I can't. Yeah. Kelly, right. I'm the youngest. I I'm love like it. a total fighter. <laughs> so. I got it. I got this. <laughs> now it's like anytime my team teases me, they're like, you just don't hear the word no. I'm like, no, I hear no. And it's like, it has to be. It has yes. to. Yeah. Yeah. You're so, like, no, it's lots probably of shades probably of gray. Exactly. No, but that's, I mean, that's an interesting thing. So you, you do things differently and you approach things in a different way. Was like your previous business training is that, did you take that to like de-risk some of what you were going to do with Westbourne? And you know, how did you know to say no to what other advisors were telling you? And you know, what did you do to sort of say, I'm going to make this work and these are what the things I'm going to put in place? I think it's sort of experience taught me I have a pretty good intuition. And I started feeling that way, you know, when I first started investing, I was in my early twenties and, you know, sort of small things, like I didn't have any money at the time. So it's like, okay, small little things, yeah. but I have a really good gut and it took probably a decade for me to actually believe that and to not be convinced by other people. Um, I think for me, it's about taking in as much data as I can. And I do this pretty much with every business decision in general. You take in a lot of different data. You try and have it be as broad based and diverse. I always say like, yeah, you have advice from your friends, but also ask people who don't know you. Ask people who that's really valuable might too. not like yeah. you. You know, it's yeah. really actually helpful to get a broad swath. So and then true. ultimately, you kind of have to read the tea leaves. I'm very LA in that way. I'm very. <laughs> Did you just say read the tea leaves? For I, the... do. <laughs> I, I, I do believe in intuition. Yeah. I think that the most, your biggest competitive advantage as an entrepreneur, no matter what your business is, mm-hmm. is you, your instinct, how you see things and how you approach things. That's the only thing that someone can't replicate, especially in restaurants and hospitality. Yeah. Nothing's patentable. True. You know, there's very low technical barriers to entry, although right. it's high barriers to success. Yep. Um, and really all that you have is yourself. It's talent. The, yeah. And yeah. the best advice I got interestingly. <laughs> so Richard Crane, who was my boss at, um, USHG, who taught me so much. Yeah. I always would say like, okay, we're doing this thing. Like, you know, what's the moat, like what's protectable. And he would always say, look, at the end of the day, like we're all serving food in places with a lot of the same tools. It's right. like, there's all different categories of tools. We all kind of have the same levers, but no one's Danny. Right. We have Danny. Yeah. And that's different. That is the difference so, in the hospitality industry than anything else. Cause I mean, that's like a very business school thing to say, what can we protect? Right. Like what is uniquely ours, but it's true. It's like, it's really it's talent zero. based. It's zero. It really, it's like, well, it's person. talent based, but it's also, it, you know, people, 
people who know me from growing up know well, like I'm very, I'm very publicly shy. Like I have major stage fright. Anytime you see me, you're not shy. (laughs) Sweat head to toe. Promise you. I actually really don't enjoy it at all. I don't love to be photographed. I get nervous with every interview. Photographing. I know. I don't. She looks cool as a cucumber right now, guys. (laughs) Everybody at Roberta's is like, who is this glowing woman? Come on. You know, so for me, but I also recognized early on people like to, people want to interact with people. Yeah. It's not just a product. It's not the food. It's not just the music. It's really the whole package and feeling that a human is taking care of you. And I think as a leader, part of that is also being the magnet for other talent. Like you can't do it all yourself, especially in a restaurant. And I think a lot of people come into this business without realizing it is all about people, period. Your guests, your team, yourself, your financial partners, and ultimately you have to love people and you have to believe that you are a really good magnet for people. And that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about like projects that you've invested in and you know, what, what do you, when people come to you with a business plan, what are you looking for? What do you not want to see? And what makes you get excited about a, a project? So for restaurants specifically, you know, again, I said, it's all about people first and foremost, the person and the team. The number one question I, because ideas move and change and, you know, evolve and restaurants evolve. You know, what you start with, what you launch with may or may not be what sticks. It may work. It may not. The question is really like, who's driving the ship and are they going to drive it towards success? Because all the other factors are really out of their control and they're going to have to make adjustments. Do I believe that this person, no matter what, is going to make this work, you know, and doesn't really matter if v1 works or not if as long as they're the right person so the the number one question i always ask someone is why are you doing this you could do anything you're yeah. smart you're capable you're obviously talented you're creative all the reasons that you'd want to go into this but why you know and a lot of times especially now i'm sure you guys see there's a lot of people who go into restaurants for vanity now as owners yeah like a lot of people with a lot of money who are like yeah it looks easy i always say it's the only industry where like, I don't go to the dentist, get my teeth clean. And I'm like, man, I am a dentist. I could be, I could be I could do this shit. Like, yeah. I am not going home and being like, man, I don't need her. Like, yeah. people eat people, in restaurants and they leave and they're like, I, I could, could do, do this. this. I'm like, I know. what is going on? I know. Right. You know, people are like, well, I love restaurants. And I go, so you like being served. Right. You don't like taking care of others. Right. That is right. not the same thing. We had a friend who lives on the Upper West Side a couple of years ago who contacted us and we're like, he was like, I have five kids now and I really want to be able to take a booth to go out to eat at a place all the time. And he was like, can you connect me with anybody? Meanwhile, he's in like tech and has no restaurant experience. We connected him with like one resource and he called us back. He's like, yeah, I'm scared. No, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think again, there's all different reasons. And what I'm personally looking for as an investor is, you know, traditional investing, the rule of thumb is, you know, product market founder fit, Mm -hmm. but ultimately the founder is the most important because the founder's the one that's going to make the product fit the market. One, I want to know, do they understand the market? Do they understand what they're actually trying to do? And how does it compare to the competitive landscape? I mean... So you're not saying, like, you're just going to meet someone and trust their character and that they're, like, saying, I'm going to do everything <laughs> it takes, and then they give you this business plan, and numbers are all over the place, and the locations are terrible, and those kind of things, right? So That's the, step two. To be more... honest, the first and foremost gaining question for me is, are they the right person for this? Are right. they doing it for the right reason? Do they have the skill set to get it done? And that doesn't mean... 
doesn't mean you have to know about food. I mean, there's a million different leaders that have different core skill sets. But again, I kind of look for that magnet and like doing it for the right reason and also seeing what the opportunity really is in an authentic way. That to me is the gating issue. Then you get into the business plan and the product market fit. But ultimately, if like, you know, I think people totally know authenticity. Yeah. They may not be able to express it. They can't quantify it. They can't tell you. But you walk into a restaurant, you know whether, you know, you know whether the lines are lining up. You right. know whether it feels real. You may not be able to put your finger on it, but if I asked you, would you go back? You know, the answer is yes or no, and that's based on all these little data points right. of your experience. And ultimately that comes down to the person. Like do they understand and can they create that experience? Um, so that's first. And that part of it is, are they going to be able to attract and retain a team? Are they going to be able to finish the fundraising round? That all comes with that person because it's just an idea on paper at that point. And also, everything in the business plan and paper can also be fixed. Right. What you can't right. fix is making them a different human. Right. That's true. And I think that carries through for whether or not you're a restaurant business or any other kind of business. It's totally. like founder is always so, so important. So. You know, how do you, so for founders of restaurants who don't necessarily have a huge network and, you know, have been working in these like chef jobs for a long time, which maybe don't have the highest paid salaries, how can they find people who are investors and put themselves out there so that people know that, hey, this person does have what it takes? Right. And that kind of second part to that, were the ones that you've invested in, did those people find you or did you find them? Is there a mix in there? Um, so I'll answer the second one first. I've always done restaurants with folks that I know and a lot of whom I've worked with. For me, I and what I tell most people is I own my own restaurant now yeah. and I like to keep a diversified portfolio. So the truth is I'll only really do a restaurant investment if it's something I really believe in or someone that I know and and maybe can help. I mean, I really won't do any investments where I can't be strategic, but more importantly, you know, if it helps them start the ball rolling, you know, a lot of it is getting those first couple commitments and checks of saying, hey, this person who everyone knows right. is shrewd, is active, is, you know, discerning, like that's going to, people like to invest in clusters. Yes. So it does so go a true. long way. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll say, look, I may not be your biggest check, but if it's helpful to have my advice, have my participation, you know, I'm happy to talk about it. A lot of times I'll say, look, I'll be an advisor. Like you don't even have to take my money or worry about that. If it helps you to sort of leverage, you know, anything regarding me, I'm happy to, but that would really only be for, it's only been in the past for sort of close friends or people that I really know are great operators and have, you know, that founder magic that I was saying. I mean, I wouldn't really just do it on a business plan. What I will do is always help anyone I've ever worked with. And there are a lot of alumni at USHG um, who I'll spend however many hours helping them with their deck, helping them finish their pitch, helping them think about the model. I've, you know, two roles is one, don't waste my time. And two, I'm real candid, as I yeah. told you before. <laughs> My family's <laughs> kind of no savage. And I'll say I'm not really for yeah. and I say I'm not for everyone. So yeah. I do want to be clear. Right. Like I don't yeah. really want to spend an hour on the phone like giving you candy and rainbows. Right. I'm here to tell you what's yeah. up. And also it's one person's opinion. Like I get, yeah. you don't need to get off the phone and be like, man, she's awful. Like <laughs> my goal is to help you think about what someone else might I'm trying to help you yeah. anticipate what someone, someone might say. say. Yeah. At least then you've heard it and you can decide whether you agree or not. But so there's those two things. Um, and then from, you know, how do you get started? I really always think 
one, you have to have your deck done. Like, do yeah. not approach anyone unless it's fleshed out. Yeah, that is like, my biggest pet idea. peeve. Yeah. It happens all the time. You don't get a second bite at, at the apple with investors, in my personal opinion. Whether that's a family member, whether that's a friend, whether that's a former regular guest, whether it's a former boss, no one wants to be pitched out with a half-baked idea because they don't have confidence they're actually going to do it. So then it's sort of like, okay, why did I spend that hour with you? Like, yeah, great, call me when the deck is done. So I tell everyone, is, yeah. deck first. Deck you first. have no idea how many people in your network, if you ask them, can help, can help format. I mean, any job, like even Josh, my husband, like in certain job interviews, I've always said to him, let's find a friend who does graphics and have them make your submission for whatever this yeah, is, like look better. unbelievable. Right. Like that's going to take... Right an hour of a friend's time who will totally help you, but it's going to jump out of that email compared to the 10 other people. It's the same with investing. I mean, the look of it, having it branded, having it tell a story. And in addition, having the financials really be vetted, having those numbers really be thought out, having your team in place. Like it may just be you, but you're going to have to answer the question of, okay, you chef who've never run a restaurant and never really managed a P and L. Yeah. Why am I giving you a check? And your answer could be, all right, I've got this person lined up. I can't put them in the deck yet because they have another job. job. Yeah. Or you know what? I have three, my three college roommates are helping me. Like one's a banker. I mean, there's all ways to put it together, but you can't go in just pretending like, you know, you're just going to hail Mary and it's going to stick to the wall. It just isn't. You have to do your homework. You have to put the package together and you really have to have a full pitch. I do then think the second step is, And I tell this to everyone, most best investments, especially in the early days, come from people you know. Get in contact with former regulars. Like if you're a chef of a restaurant, you should have at least 10 people that you see regularly that you know. So many of those people end up seating the person that left. It happens incredibly often. Sorry for any restaurateur, but we all know it's true. It's so true. And it's not mutually exclusive. Yeah. I'm not like only investing in one restaurant group. I might invest in three chefs if I'm someone who does that. So that's one. Two is friends and family and thinking broader, you know, like send an email to that random friend from college you haven't seen in a while or like take them to coffee and just just be like, look, I know we haven't spoken in years. You know, I've been following you. You seem smart. This is what I'm doing. But again, you can't take that meeting unless you really have the full package because it's impossible to ask them to take you seriously and go out on, on a limb, which is what you need if there's not sort of stable ground yeah. for them to step on. Yeah, I mean, I definitely business plan is like step one and making sure that it's fully thought out. And, you know, I mean, one thing that we talk about when we see business plans too is like, you're not going to be profitable right away. Like there's things that people will put in business plans where you're like, don't put that in a business plan because it's not going to be true. Like, you know, just have hard reality. And- yeah. Well, and even down to like, what are you going to take in salary? I mean, that's I see right, a lot of chefs all the time. I see a lot of yeah. chefs put models together and I'm like, and really? No you're going to pull one fit. Oh no, yeah. I see the opposite. Oh really? You're going to pull 150 K. Like, I'm sorry until you make money. <laughs> you should not be doing that. <laughs> I don't know. So you don't I think mean, they should get paid at all at first. I'm not saying not paid at all. Yeah. It depends also on the structure. If yeah. you own most of it and you right. own the cash flow. then No, you shouldn't be taking $150,000 base. Yeah. Right. There's, 20,000 combinations, yeah. but I just see, I often see the opposite, which oh, is it's so funny. We see, yeah, like, but that's the, what I need. And I'm like, okay, then you shouldn't be a restaurant entrepreneur because it takes risk. And again, if I'm your investor, yeah. if yeah. you're entitled to all the cash flow once everything's paid back and you're really the owner and part of the equity, like I, 
I don't know. And then the other flip side of that is I see a lot of people taking salary who then have a full team on their p and I'm like, all right. So you get paid 150000 right? You better be in the restaurant six days a week. Like, or if you're not, then you have okay, to share right. some of that. You, some like, of that, yeah. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Right. You can't be an owner. You can't be a lifestyle brand. You can't be a chef <laughs> and have this whole team. Like at some point, you know, your payroll has to be logical for what the concept right, is. Because the payroll is like a sort of a fixed cost in a lot of ways where like, you know, if if you're not, if you don't have butts and seats, but you have this huge payroll, you're never going to make ends meet. So I think that's just something to be cognizant about. If you're well, not planning to be in the restaurant every day as a chef, you cannot pay yourself that kind of salary. Totally. How do yeah. these things change if the if the person coming to you has their own cash investment as well and inside? Does that change change your mind about some of those things or? Because I don't most know. people are I mean, coming with just like an equity share, right? Because they don't have the money, they're coming to you for yeah. that reason. But I don't know. I don't think it's like a pay-to-play kind of scenario. Personally, yeah. I don't think that you having the money or not makes you more fit or less fit. It's more of a like skin in the game, showing that you are like accepting the risk, right? Totally, but there's also different ways to structure the risk. Right. Like I said, I mean, you can't take on no risk and then yeah. cut a market level salary. salary. I mean, right. like that's, that's kind of my point is yeah. there's all these different levels. You can put capital in, you can use sweat equity, you can work, you know, take the place of two chefs right. for the interim to make it. I mean, there's a million different ways. I don't know that you have to get so stuck in those details, but again, you have to flesh that out. Like me as right. founder, what do I want? Do yeah. I want to be in the restaurant all the time? Is my goal in doing this not to be? you know, what trade-offs do I have to give for that? I mean, an investor wants to know that you have thought that through and or are receptive to someone telling Telling you the terms. Like, hey, you know, there's just no room for you to be... Are there other things like that that kind of stick out and that you've noticed Yeah, I think, you know, if we're really... Look, I think first and foremost, people look, are they prepared? Yeah. That's one. Does the business plan make sense? Does this concept sound good? Right. You know, and do you want to eat there? Yeah. Like, does it sound good? Is the package at least somewhat branded? I'm not saying you have to have a design agency do it, but like, if you're just sending me random pieces of paper or like a two pager, it just doesn't show effort to me. Like, if this is really what you do and you want to do, I want to see with their eyes. It's like you want to like make it look. It's more about effort. Like, if you know, there are NYU interns that would help people. There are former employees that would take on extra work. There are friends that would help you. Like. I hate when people say, well, I don't have the network, you know, so-and-so does. It's like, we all have a network. Well, it's just not, about being creative. Yeah, if you're not willing yeah. to reach out to the network for that very beginning stage, then exactly. how are you going to fill this restaurant gonna, with right. seats? Exactly. And we talk about this a lot with mentorship, too. It's the same thing. It's like you don't know unless you ask. Like, you have to ask a mentor to help you. You right. have to ask your friends to help you. You can't be shy about it. And ultimately, nothing can stand in your way. Excuses are, like the total antidote to getting investment. Like (laughs) you want to come up with excuses. No one's going to give you cash. That's the truth. So I think being prepared is one. And I think two is, um, I, I guess the other question I ask people a lot, which I'm always amazed, you know, it's not like I'm looking for a certain answer, but I'm amazed when people give a wrong answer. Like (laughs) who are your competitors? They're like, no one. I'm like, everybody has competitors. It's like no restaurant concept has never, ever been done before. Everyone's copying and iterating and interpreting, which is fine. Every famous chef and restaurateur that you know and love, I can tell you five places they got those ideas from. Yeah. Like not as someone who is a total research data and just absorption inspiration junkie, our design team can tell you, like, I know where everything comes from. There is no, (laughs) there's just no, 
we live in an iterative industry and that is okay. Yeah. You can take a unique approach to something, True. but to look me in the face and say, there's no competitors is like, I know I will ne- like that conversation stops right there. Oh, yeah. I'm like, we're done. Right. That just doesn't show you're savvy because yeah. that is not possible. I mean, we and, like to say competition is great. Like the whole theory is that competition is great because it makes you perform better. So if anything, it's like, even even outside of that, another, if you really think you don't, right. Yeah. You're blind. You're blind. It actually has nothing to do with whether you think it's or, positive or not. Like yeah. you actually are blind. And again, yeah. that is not a founder that I would entrust capital to. Yeah. So that's one. And then three is what are the assumptions they're really making? And are they reasonable and market tested? And again, that shows me, look, that chef restaurateur that individual doesn't necessarily need to be a math whiz or know about restaurant finance or accounting i want to know that they can find someone who can do that for them i actually don't care that you put together the model and sat there with excel i want to know that you're savvy enough to know that model needs to be done right and you need to be savvy enough to ask some questions i.e talk to people at the jobs you've worked at again go to your network and be like what are what are average sales in this neighborhood like what what do you think is reasonable for labor costs? Like what's yeah. payroll tax these days? Like you just can't sit there and say, well, I don't do Excel or I'm not into finance. I just do the food. You know, again, excuses are going to talk you out, out of, of investment. So yeah. I want to know that someone again has a discerning and inquisitive eye, even when it comes to something outside of their realm of expertise. And I think you can't ask someone for money if you can't even question a PL and know that you know the basic line items and you understand where the market is. Like I'll see things like, you know, occupancy at a rate where I'm like, there's no place in New York where you're going to get that. So like the model, yes, is filled with assumptions. It's all made up now. I just want to know that you're at least realistic and understand the bandwidth of possibilities that will actually happen, you know, and then stress test a little bit. So again, it's not that like you expect this person to be a financial wizard. Often the people that are financial wizards are really bad at this industry, (laughs) but it's again, being, you got to know what you don't know and you have to be willing to get resources and stay curious yourself. Mm. Like you got to teach yourself enough of that language. Otherwise why be an owner and why ask someone for their money? It's not a fair trade. We talk about this a lot. It's like focusing on what you're good at, knowing who to ask when, you know, when you don't know. And I do believe that everybody should be somewhat financially literate. You don't have to be like a genius, like, you know, and know like everything in the P&L and what it all means to be able to put the model together. But you should be able to like be financially literate to some extent. Again, how can you say to someone, I want your hard earned capital that's been taxed at a high tax rate, which means you really earned almost double. Yeah. I want your money. And I am not going to do anything to be a responsible steward for that. Right. That's just not a fair proposition. So, yeah. And it's a very achievable proposition. It's actually very yeah. achievable to have financial literacy. It's very achievable to find someone to help you put those things together. And it takes that investment. You can't yeah. ask someone to invest in you if you won't invest in yourself. And we have an episode, number 13. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we do. We did like a PL episode. And actually, it was the last one we aired, but one of the most listened to, which says to me that there isn't, like, people do need yeah. more help becoming financially literate and that it is really important to people. So I think that is a super well, cool thing. Yeah. It's interesting. It's one of the things I was actually just talking to someone a couple of weeks ago about this. You know, for every position we hire, we interview a lot of people. We're very particular. And it's amazing how many GMs, sometimes director of ops, I'll come across who interview with us. And I'm amazed. Like, they really have never been through a PL. And, and they're like, There's I'm a, a GM and I'm ready for it. the second step. Yeah. And I'm like, You literally cannot read a basic PL. <laughs> yeah. 
you aren't a GM. But that's they've given to, you that title, but that no longer the sadness to restaurateurs like train your people on the PL and so that they can be better totally. stewards of your ship. I but mean, it's I also think a sadness of you're giving them this yeah. label that they actually aren't in, and then you're setting up for massive disappointment and frankly chaos amongst the yeah. industry because that title has eroded over time. It's like what used to be a floor manager is now what people are calling GMs. And they're like, well, I gave the title because I want to keep them. I go, well, well then t- train, yeah, train them. them. I, I mean, yeah. Now. Yeah. it's just not right. And then it's sad because then you see a lot of people who really believe that they were GM. And I'm like, I get it. It's you had the title, the but you weren't. And we talk about this, that, totally. you know, that you need to really you know, ask for that information, ask yeah. for those, those opportunities. We talked about this a little bit at lunch, but... Um, Tell us why why people are investing. In restaurants. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You know, again, I invest in tech, consumer products, marketplaces. You know, it's kind of a broad swath because my background's pretty varied. But when it comes to restaurants, look, I think people, it's a very different proposition. You invest in, you know, a consumer product. At some point, you're hoping there's a big exit and you make a massive multiple. But what happens is that person has your capital for quite a long long time. time. And yes, there's a massive payoff. And ultimately, your goal is that it beats putting it in, you know, a market fund or putting it under your pillow or putting in a savings (laughs) account. Don't put it under your pillow. Don't. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, you hope that that has a bigger payoff. That's great. That's very different than restaurants. It's much more about payback period. Yeah. People actually do get paid back within X amount of years that you are supposed to commit to. But then past that, it's cash flow sharing, which is not typical in any other business, frankly. So I always say, you know, people are looking as more of an annuity. It's more about like getting cash flow every quarter. And partly because there's not a lot of exit opportunity. Yeah. Like there isn't a lot of I'm going to sell my restaurant group in five, six years, like very few are going to go public, very few are going to appeal to private equity. You know, a lot of people I'm sure listening, you know, to your podcast too, it's like, this might be your life. Like this is your life's work, but who knows what happens at the end. So again, people are really looking for cash flow, not necessarily this like exit massive multiple bump. So what that also tells me is, so then why do it? It's not for the financial payback per se. It's much more for access. It's for a lot of people about vanity. It's about wanting a place that's yours. Like you said, your friend who wants to take his kids anytime. I would say like most, a lot of people honestly invest for reservations access. Like they want to invest in something that's desirable, close to their home, in their neighborhood, with someone they just really care about, which is why I say when you go to investment, it really doesn't behoove anyone to go, frankly, for institutional investment. And honestly, I really wouldn't go for debt either. I think, you know, a lot of people get really crushed by SBA loans in this business because the cash flow is so unpredictable and seasonal. But go to friends and family who like, love you. Proximity. Yeah. The proximity to the home. Yeah. Totally. Neighbors. Neighbors. I mean, it's good to walk around the neighborhood and like, yeah, knock on doors. (laughs) (laughs) Slip it under the mailbox. If, you know, again, if that's really what you want to do, you want to open this restaurant to what Alex said earlier, like if you haven't built that network, how are you even going to begin to get butts and seats? Like it's just got to start way before. So I do think the profile of a typical restaurant investor, it's personal. Mm -hmm. It's about much more emotional connection than it is financial return. Again, they are going to look at the P and L. They're not like, it's not a charity. They're not, right. Yeah. You know, they're not writing it off. 
But no, they want a cash flow annuity. Like you said, they're like, yeah, it's but like a, and they know it's going to come a couple years in. Right. So, you know, again, it's, I think it is so much about network and your own personal network and actually thinking more locally than people think. That's yeah. a good tip. And yeah, so I guess when you're like thinking of who to pitch and putting these things together, like think locally, think of who, who's like, and do your diligence. Like yeah. I always say to people, put together a target list, put it in order of priority, like who you think is going to be more likely or who might be the domino that gets other people I like people that idea, though. Yeah, like, that you get the smaller check, but with the bigger... Set the whole list. Right? Set yeah. the whole ask. And also, tailor. Tailor your deck for that person. Or yeah, exactly. tailor answers that you're prepared for. Due diligence on them. What else have they invested in? You may or may not know, but again, people like when you meet with them and you've done your homework. And I think they want it to be a personal experience. And if you want their money, you should deliver that. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's take a super quick break to hear from our supporters. This episode was brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with meeting and event spaces available for on-demand booking. Looking for the next perfect outdoor location for your next gathering? Host your next event at 100 Bogart's impressive rooftop, just steps away from the Morgan L stop. It's one of the largest and tallest roof spaces in Bushwick, boasting 360-degree views of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. 100 Bogart's rooftop is available for your next networking event, fundraiser, special performance, or photo shoot. There's approximately 5,000 square feet, ample space for up to 100 guests. For more information on hosting an event at 100 Bogart's rooftop, email info at 100bogart.com or call 718-362-3539. All right, welcome back. Uh, Again, we're chatting with Camilla Marcus of Westbourne, and we're talking about um, investments and what investors look for and what you need to have to be prepared to meet with them. Um, And we were just talking a little bit in the break about um, the the number that you do come up with and what that should entail and how uh, how prepared that is for the risk that comes along with what might happen during opening you know, immediately after you open and you're not immediately profitable what kind of you know reality and numbers are you looking for or do you see when when you're being pitched yeah I mean I think you know you had mentioned at the break and I think it's so true a lot of times people want to paint this rosy picture and they want the numbers to look just so to get the check but it's sort of pennywise and pound foolish mm-hmm. like yeah it might make that raise easier right then and there but it's gonna you know bite you yeah. in the ass later yeah. <laughs> big time and it'll hurt a lot more so you know like I said when I look through someone's model I want to see that they're realistic I don't want to see cautiously optimistic mm-hmm. I want to see realistic I can do the inflation. Like, I understand upside. I want to hear <laughs> that you have contingency plans. So, for example, whatever you decide to raise, I want to know that you've spoken to restaurants in the neighborhood and you understand how much it really is going to cost, not just to build, but to sustain rent if permitting goes awry yeah. and what happens if the power goes out. You know, we had a massive power outage the day before Westbourne. Actually, someone wrote me an email from the community board, um, 3 a.m., swear to God, the day before opening, 
uh, the manhole in front of your restaurant's on fire. The whole place may be burning. You should get there. And I go, that email was super helpful. I was dead asleep. So I looked at Josh. I go, do I run there right now? Or do I like get dressed? And I'm like, well, if it's burned, it's burned. So, so I might as well get dressed. So I showered and got dressed. And I was like, 50-50, this place is gone. And you know, everyone's like, you have insurance. I'm like, do I have 18 years of my, or 18 months of my life, life back? back? Like, yeah. No. So again, you know, really thinking through what could go wrong, what kind of, you know, cushion you need and what that costs. Plus, you know, what, um, you know, y'all alluded before, like there's runway that's needed. Like you will suffer losses in the beginning. You will be changing team members. Like it just, there's a lot of friction, a lot that can go wrong. Have you ever seen a, a immediately profitable restaurant? Out the gate. Do you mean, well, it depends also what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it depends on what you mean, not profitable. No, not in the first month. I think, yeah. you know, for most restaurants, it takes about six months to stabilize. Yeah, six to nine, Profitable yeah. to me also is a misnomer because, again, it depends where you sit. Are you making cash flow month to month? Yes. To me, profitable means you've paid back your investors personally. Okay. So I look yeah. at it differently because, okay. yes, it's great you make cash, but if you're still putting in the piggy bank, you're still in debt. It's not, right. profitable. it's not profitable. It's like, yeah. it's actually not a saleable asset, just FYI. Yeah. Right. That's what profit means to me. Right. right. But hey, a lot of great startups that get great valuations <laughs> are not are, profitable. So, so again, like I look at it a little bit differently than that. But I do want to see, you know, this person has baked in cushion. They understand runway. They understand downside protection. And they're really raising for that because what I very often see, unfortunately, is something does go wrong. They didn't plan on it. They painted this kind of unrealistic picture for everyone. And then they're in the hole. The restaurant's not open, and they're like, "We need three hundred more thousand dollars." That's a terrible position to, do to be it. in. Yeah. And also, most people don't want to do it because you've already, already proven to yeah. them that you you're are not, not a financial the steward. founder. Yeah. You're not the steward. You're not yeah. the person. And honestly, most people would rather cut losses, which is contrary to what most founders think. Wow. They think yeah. they're pot committed, and the truth is, I told you, they're the type of investor where it's not about finances; it's emotional. Right. Once they feel like this person is not their, you know, emotional ambassador. Quan, right. a lot of them just want to cut losses at that point. That actually is underwritable. Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. You write it off as a loss and you say bye. Yeah. yeah. So I do think, you know, it's about understanding, you know, reasonable margins, reasonable build out costs, understanding what is really going to take all the things, insurance, you know, rent and everything that goes into mm-hmm. it that isn't seen by guests or anyone else once it's open, you know, is that person really padding it enough? And, you know, is the payback period reasonable? I mean, everyone's like, oh, you got to gear it towards two years. It's like, okay, but if you're not if actually going to pay gonna someone it, back, right. Don't lie. I tell yeah. someone I want honesty above all. Right. And that's a person I respect and admire. The person that is straight up understands the downside, understands what could go wrong is contingency planning. Like, that's the founder you want to bet on. I don't want to bet on someone like I can make any model say anything I want. That's not the exercise. The question is, are you the person that really is going to navigate choppy waters, which it's always going to be in this business. So the more you prove to be sort of Pollyannish and, or what I call the salesman, it's not going to lead towards a good place. Right. That cool. was a lot of good nuggets. So yeah. thank you for being <laughs> I'm going to go back and re-listen. I know. <laughs> I'm like, there's a lot of, uh, she pulled I love yeah. looking at decks. It's my favorite. It's, so Camilla's email. No, I'm just <laughs> But, um, but no, that was, I, it's, thank you for the candid and honest conversation. Cause I think, you know, one thing is people don't talk honestly about money enough and people don't know exactly what people are looking for when they start to ask for money. And that's a shitty position to be in. So I will also say, you know, on a semi-personal note, you know, 
I never realized till I got older, like money was not a dirty word in my household. My mom taught us about balancing checkbooks when we were teenagers. Like we talked about budgets. I mean, it just wasn't something I realized that people were very afraid to discuss and right. be open about. Yeah. And but it's hard I encourage everyone, yep. start with your kids. Yeah. Whatever you had, put to the side and start with your own children. Like it should not be something that is you know, taboo or financially naked with your family. Totally. So it's so true. Um, yeah, because a lot of people find it really, really hard and like, they're like embarrassed to ask for money or they think it's just this like, like you said, like a four letter word, but it's not. And it's, you know, that's how the world and the businesses work. So, all right, let's go into some lightning round. These are meant to be like one to two quick, one to two word, quick answers. Um, so currently what is your favorite dish on the Westbourne menu? Ooh, Hmm. Don't feel like it's like picking your favorite child. You can just... No, I know. It's been hot lately, so I've been really doing the Sullivan Chopped, and I always add halloumi and falafel. Mm. That's my move right now. But it always (laughs) rotates. It rotates. That's good. It's good to have variety. I get in like a weird week. I'm actually someone who hates pattern or routine, but I get in like a weird... I'm very anti-routine. It freaks me out. He's Almost like, not 100% routine yeah. right here. I know. My husband, too. <laughs> I'm like, compatible. Okay. <laughs> You'd be surprised. That's my husband. I'm like, I can't. I just I can't have everything be predictable. But I do get in sort of like, I don't know, like cravings for a couple days. Yeah. And what about your favorite thing to cook at home? I really don't like to make almost anything twice. Oh, really? It's really awful. You're an avid home cook, too. I am, but I really love to just riff. I like to see what's at the green market or what's in our fridge. And even when I read recipes, I'm kind of like, okay, I get the gist, but like, I kind of want to do my own thing. I really, I told you, I really hate routine and pattern. Um, (laughs) It terrifies me. Um, I do really like to bake. I love making doughs. I actually really have a secret baking knack. That's Um, such a routine thing. I know that's such a routine thing. thing. No, but it's different every time. It, it's yeah. not. You actually can. I don't really yeah. use recipes all that well. <laughs> I know. It's funny because every most savory cooks really hate pastry. And I'm like, they're actually the same thing. They're like, no, it has to be precise. I go, but not really because temperature, weather, product, you do variables. have to be able to look at something yeah. and be like, okay, that does not right. Like, I riff on pastry, but I have about a 60% success yeah, rate. Yeah, it's true. I can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you ooh. 60% Big eyebrows raised on the I don't know. I'm never getting cookies again <laughs> at home. <laughs> I also love, um, yeah, I like pasta. You know, like I said, it really, my favorite is Sunday just to like go to the green market, see what's available. And I, Josh always calls it like top chef nights. And I just, <laughs> just uh, it's like together. quick fire. It's like, what is in our <laughs> fridge? Especially when we have, we live kind of like bachelors friends laugh we have like nothing in the fridge i don't like to waste anything so for me it's like if we're home and we're gonna cook for a couple days like then i'll have stuff and we'll really just go through it as we do i don't like to have anything wasted so it often seems like no one lives there so i'm like ooh, what can i put together with this like crazy compilation of things so um it's never really the same (laughs) much to my husband he loves my chicken and rice and i'm like you literally always request the same thing and i'm not Not making making that again again for you (laughs) All right, favorite business book? Shoe Dog. Shoe Dog. Shoe Dog. It is. That is a good yeah. one. For the biggest reason that I, th- I always say I lament that we live in this like Zuckerberg shadow generation of why am I not in my career? Why have I not found my thing? I mean, I have friends at my age who are like, I'm past the point of like, finding my rocket ship and I'm like, it's okay. So true. Most entrepreneurs start their businesses totally. in their 40s. My so dad started is, at 47. I mean, there's, so there is this whole like Silicon Valley, like totally. washed 
well, kind of like and entrepreneurship. That's not necessarily yeah. These true. tech company and even some hospitality yeah. companies are led by really amazing young people, and it makes everyone think that like you are just going to find it if you haven't. You know, you're a loser. But yeah. the reason I love Shoe Dog is it's one of the most special brands. It's one that everyone Knows, adores yeah. and has respect for. And to realize like he didn't pick the name, he didn't like the name, he never even wanted to create a brand. Like none of it started. He didn't he just dream wanted of running Nike. shoes. Yeah, he just started with one thing. You yeah. build to the next. You bring on great people, and you kind of let it ride. That to me is the way. I think the best businesses are run and founded and developed just much more organically and not shooting for the moon every time. Yeah. Like why, Josh and I always say like, why can't people just, you know, hit singles and doubles and like crush, <laughs> right. you know, it's like, it yeah. doesn't have to Everybody's be home run or bus. Swing. Like yeah. Yeah. you don't have to live in that world. So that's much more sort of my style. I like it. Um, one business resource that everyone should know about. Ooh. I don't, uh, honestly, people, (laughs) I think it is the most overlooked resource in the world. You don't know, ask. Everyone is less than six degrees of separation. You want to meet someone, get on LinkedIn, talk to friends, make it happen. I mean, anyone is reachable. I genuinely, I mean, even with tech table, our team laughs. I can't even tell you how pie in the sky crazy some of my dream speakers are and every single one has spoken. And my team is like, you're insane. Who comes up with like, I want this famous person. I'm like, we'll figure it out. Yeah. If it takes 20 conversations, it takes 20 conversations. Like I do think people, because it's the best way to get real answers. It's the best way to get candor. And like I said, go talk to five different restaurants in your neighborhood. Go talk to your regulars. all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just, I think people are the best resource. And I think so often, especially when restaurants are opening, like we did 20 tastings, mostly people we didn't know, mostly people who were not vegetarian. And, you know, I said, we want brutal feedback. We had like five page surveys. I mean, we really dug into, you know, what do you want? What do you like? What do you not? I'm one person you got to get input. So I personally think people more than anything else. And I think they're unfortunately so often underutilized. I I love that. I think that's so true for sure. People, um, people want to help more than you think. People love helping. I know I have a girlfriend who's like trying to start an e-commerce Don't abuse it. Yeah, but it's true. It's like, and she's like, Oh, thank you for, and I I talked to her for 30 minutes on the phone and she was like, Oh my God, what can I do to repay you? I'm like, nothing. You're my friend. And it's like really fun for me (laughs) to talk to you about this idea that you have and be honest with you about it. So I think it's so true. It's like, people don't ask people enough, especially in our business, like cook them dinner, you know, like bring them cookies. Honestly, like it's amazing what food can actually trade for someone like Just don't waste their time. Don't abuse it and ask the right questions that you really want to get yeah, at. Be don't be prepared for the, the conversation, but, but it's like, but definitely most ask people. people are open to at least a short chat. A hundred percent. Okay. So next question, who is a mentor inspirational, inspirational leader that you look up to in the industry or it could be beyond, it could be any mentor from somewhere else. Oh, I, I mean, it's so cheesy, but I really, I lean very heavily on my dad. My dad is, you know, he was a late bloomer. He founded his company very late, but my dad leads with a lot of heart, a lot of integrity. You know, it's not about like the last dollar and it's always been about singles and doubles for him too. And, you know, his company grew tremendously over 30 years, but it didn't start, you know, it was like one thing. And he said no to the opportunity four times. (laughs) He had like three kids in private school. He was like, I don't know. And it was a big transition. So he's one of the people because I think, and again, this is, what I like about shoe dog, you know, I think we're also raised to think 
through HBO and Showtime programming, <laughs> you know, that you have to be an asshole to get ahead. And yeah. <laughs> I've never been wired that way. And I was told again by a lot of bosses, a lot of colleagues, a lot of people on the way, like, you know, nice isn't going to get you anywhere. I and hope being that's a good changing, person, though, with, like, the recent reckoning of, you know, everything that's happened in our... You would hope. You would hope that that's changing. I still think that we look at really stellar, supersonic success as, oh, that person's ruthless. Or, yeah. you know, they're, like, Not winner me. take I like, all. I like and, the nice guy to win. Yeah, but it's true. Yeah, but I mean, we don't talk about those stories as yeah. much. Like, you read in a lot of publications. It's about, oh, the... I mean, honestly you really want to go back to our industry a lot of it's like oh this person's like a crazy genius they're so wild and unruly right. and mercurial and whatever euphemisms we want to put on it because they're so creative and they're a total genius and i'm like okay why does the genius have to come with that those are two separate things right. your personality and what you feel entitled to is totally different than your creative vision and i personally don't believe they go hand in hand necessarily and i don't want to celebrate those people i want to celebrate people who care about their people who create wealth for their people who aren't just making all the money and everyone else is struggling I mean I you know I just my dad has always looked at his team as a community their tenure is super high I mean most people have been there 20 years it's just and he cares about them as people he cares about the business at a place that they feel respected and I just value that approach so much and I do think especially in tough operating businesses, people start to get cutthroat or they start to really get in it for themselves and kind of forget that, you know, you should be doing it to raise all boats. Like, and if you're not, and unfortunately in our business, that doesn't often happen. Yeah, It's very few people that then, you know, rise out of the boat and someone else is sort of paddling. Yeah. Don't, don't get disheartened people. <laughs> I'm like, there are good leaders. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, but I, well, I think yeah. that question's an important one because no, I also true. think you have to stick you know, you talked about which voices you listen to and which you drown out. Yeah. I think it is about, again, people finding that person that shares your values and leads the way you believe you want to lead. And that feels right and authentic to you and talking to them, getting their advice, yeah. and listening to them and drowning out the noise the of noise. leaders that don't comport with you. And look, everyone's going to appeal to someone different and just being true to yourself and finding those people, I think is really important. So you don't get disheartened. Yeah. And you can be a nice person along the way. hundred percent. hundred percent. Nice is not a four letter. It is not. Um, okay. So you are a world renowned speaker on how to raise money for the hospitality ventures. <laughs> give, us your, <laughs> give us your one line quote that everybody should remember. This is a hard one. I'm sorry. And what I didn't send mean? her the, I didn't send her the questions. What is, I'm not sure I understand the question. <laughs> what do you mean? What should people live by? Yeah. Um, Inspire us, please. Oh, this is so much <laughs> pressure. I think I'll go back to, you know, I feel like I've said it a million times on this podcast kind of inadvertently, so apologies. But this business is all about people. That is the truth. It all relies on humans. And I think you have to be your most human self to be successful. That goes to who you fundraise, how you fundraise, how you position yourself, who you attract, how you retain, who you take care of in your restaurant, who you position to, how you interact in the market. Yeah. It's a people business. It is dollars and cents and it is food and it is design. It's all those things. But the truth is none of it matters without the people. And that starts with the founder. That's a good there one. you go. People first. We're going to close on that and do some opening soon announcements. Yeah. Anybody come to, it's called opening soon. So we like to shout out restaurants or people we know who are opening. Anybody come to mind? 
I don't know any up-and-coming openings just yet. It's fall. It's like there's so many. Um, okay, I'll shout out some from from the Tillet team. Hometown Miami is opening, so Billy Durney is taking it wow. down. I know. Isn't that awesome? It's. I think it's close to the design district. Um, I forget exactly. I forget exactly where it is, but I know firsthand from some of the people in Miami that they're very excited. Very excited for some great barbecue. Very excited. And then Condesa and Philly is opening, um, which is a new Mexican spot there that people are very excited about. And then not really an opening, but something happening next weekend is Feast in Portland, which is always super fun. And if you happen to be there, we will be doing a live recording of opening soon um and we will be previewing some interesting new products that are coming out got some interesting new drop for tillet so uh yeah definitely if you're there come and find us pay attention keep your eyes open yeah. uh special thanks again to camilla for kicking off season two with us we really appreciate it thanks for having me uh we'll post a wrap-up of today's show on tilletnyc.com we'll also send one to your inbox so make sure you get on the email list uh where can we find you on social uh, at camilla.marcus and at westbourne and in real life at the restaurant is at 130 <laughs> oh i was like in real life what's your home address <laughs> what's that <laughs> like, in real life, like jenny getting crazy Creepy. um stalker alert <laughs> 137 sullivan between prince and houston right in the heart of soho cool um if you like the episode about funding uh we hope you did i did and i was sitting here which is great uh make sure you tune in next (laughs) make sure you tune in next week um as jenny mentioned we're going to be out in portland uh for the feast event and we'll be chatting with maya lovelace of yonder and may and she took a different approach a less traditional approach to funding her project and so you can listen to our chat and uh, find out about her story for us uh, make sure you follow the journey on heritage radio subscribe on itunes stitcher anywhere else you get your podcast don't forget to follow us on instagram at we are opening soon and at till myc and if there's any other great feedback advice questions things you want to know then keep the ball rolling and please let us know and tell everyone you know. Tell your network. Yeah, we love DMs. So direct message us on Instagram and let us know what you want to hear about. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Camilla. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you so much. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.